Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 134 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. As the autumn takes hold, it's time for my season summary, the good, the bad and the exciting. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all safe and well wherever you are. Here in the UK, we're starting another coronavirus lockdown, and I hope the impact of this year has not been too destructive for you and your families. Thinking back to the subject of this year, it's around this time of year I like to think back to my beekeeping season and consider how things have been for me and my business. And if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to share my thoughts with you as to how this season has been generally and also look forward to gearing up next season and perhaps next week talk about planning to build on this year's experiences. On that point, I'd urge everyone to take some time out to review what you got up to with your bees in 2020, whether you have just a couple of hives or a couple of thousand, it's always good to take stock of your situation and try to learn from your experiences. The biggest learning opportunities I find usually come from any of the mistakes that we make. I don't tend to learn a great deal when things work out perfectly each and every time. That said, I can't remember the last time everything worked out perfectly each and every time and fell into place without a hitch. There always seems to be something I can do better or slightly different to make things go more smoothly. The year though got off to a flyer and I was pretty excited to get through the winter with minimal losses. We ended up with something like five or six colonies being lost and that was probably down to less than five percent of our stocks. Most of those losses were down to a beekeeping desire to try to squeeze every last nucor colony through into the next season, regardless of how small they are. And it's something that I talk about regularly, but I still really don't seem to be able to commit to. It appeared to be mostly due to dwindling colonies and them dying of the cold. Remember, a honeybee cluster needs to maintain a critical temperature, firstly to stay alive, but also to keep alive any brood that it might be producing. Once it falls below that threshold, bees start to die and the colony falls apart rapidly from there. You don't really see this in the autumn when you have boxes full of bees, but as we inspect, there's always a couple I look at and think, mm, they look a little small, I really ought to unite them, but they slip through and end up being one of those casualties. So we kicked off the new season with around 70 to 75 colonies. I'm so lucky to have really early forage for the bees in the form of willow. Although I feed pollen substitute in late February, a lot of our colonies get straight out onto the hazel and willow and build up strongly on that. The weather plays a part, of course, and I couldn't get too far into the podcast without mentioning the weather. We have mild winters for the most part. If we ever get a week of sub-zero temperatures or more than a foot of snow, it's the exception rather than a regular feature. So the bees come through the winter fine. Or I should mention the oxalic acid treatments in midwinter. I think treating them with the sublimator at that time works really well in reducing varroa numbers to the point 
that the Varroa then really struggled to take hold of the colony all summer. Pete and Steph have been a great help again this past season. We got over to the workshop and built some decent folding stands to take out to the oilseed rape. And this is one of those situations where we took an experience from the previous season and improved our approach. In 2019, the bees on pollination were put on pallets close to the ground and because of the weather conditions, sporadically damp, they seemed to suffer unduly from chalk brood and chronic bee paralysis virus. With that in mind, this season we made up a batch of stands to get the colonies off the ground and also give me a better working height from which to inspect. It helped exactly as I'd hoped and both the bees and I had a much better start to this year. There are a lot of variables of course and it wasn't just the height that made all the difference but I'm convinced that it helped. The stands were used specifically at the oilseed rate pollination and an additional change this year is that I clipped all of the queens there at the same time. Another move in response to a difficult year previously where we lost quite a number of swarms. The result was another positive effective change that helped me manage my bees. The colonies still attempted to swarm in some instances but the resulting cloud of bees always returned to the hive. For any beginner listening the clipped queens can't fly and fall into the grass in front of the hive. Without her the bees forming the swarm head back to the hive so I didn't lose a huge chunk of bees from the colony and was then able to resolve the swarming issues. At least for the most part, several colonies still did get away from me and that's something I need to tighten up on for next year. One of the other successes of the year also provided me with a lot of entertainment and pleasure and that was the swarm we collected and housed in the top bar hive. This project ran alongside our church colony cutout which I'll come on to in a moment, but the top bar hive, built mainly by Pete it has to be said, has really been super fun to play around with. The colony developed quickly on the top bars and simply performed quietly and calmly each and every time we popped over to film them. I can really see the attraction of having a top bar hive for a hobbyist and wouldn't deter anyone from giving it a go. We had no swarming issues with them and they're now clustered up ready to go through their first winter in the top bar hive. Again, a first for me, and although I have given them plenty of food to see them through, I'm not sure how well they'll cope. So I'll keep my fingers crossed and we'll see what happens. Going back to the church cutout colony, what an adventure we had with them too this season. Climbing scaffold to collect bees isn't my idea of fun, but we managed to recover them. And although the process of moving them onto frames was a little tricky, we did manage to get them safely crossed to our 14 by 12 apiary and settled down. The buggers swarmed on me in the summer though, despite my best efforts of creating an artificial swarm, but the end result was two colonies from one, so it wasn't a total disaster. Thinking back to the oilseed rape, we had a really good crop of honey from them, and it looked like we'd go on to have one of our best harvests of honey for a full year for a long time. The summer decided otherwise, but I'll come on to that. The spring honey harvest coincided with my decision to move the operation from the garage into a business unit. Quite a giant leap for me, particularly financially. It's always a worry when you take on more overheads because you end up working part of the month just to pay for the privilege of having more space to work harder in, if you get what I mean. That said, it was probably the best thing I could have done. 
The extra space meant we could set out the extraction equipment with room to move about and less chance of injury or damage to kit. Swinging full supers of honey around in a three metre square honey room can get a little tight sometimes. I had a partition wall put up, you might remember, to separate the honey room from the rest of the unit and that filled quickly with boxes and other beekeeping kit. It always amazes me how quickly I seem to fill the available space. I'm looking forward to getting all of those boxes out into the apiaries in spring and that will open up the unit again. The honey extraction process went really well and with so much more room it was far easier to set up a decent workflow and reduce lifting heavy boxes. This is of course my main concern but I've been really careful this year to protect my back and for the most part I've been fine. The twisting and lifting during extraction is always a tricky time especially when you get tired. It's not the first heavy box that does the damage it's the late evening stretching across the table to grab a biscuit that's the culprit. A tired back and reaching just a little too far and pop another four weeks of pain. But so far so good. So the spring harvest was excellent for us. Clipped queens meant bigger colonies going into the summer and overwintered nukes had progressed into full-size hives and we were looking really strong. Then it all went a little quiet. The dry weather resulted in colonies struggling to put away any meaningful levels of honey and we were down on the spring crop. One thing to mention is the incident with the enormous colony on the oilseed rape that nearly starved. We had a skyscraper of a colony on the oilseed rape and took something like four or five very full supers off it, leaving one almost full super behind to give to the bees so that they had food. One week later, we were back inspecting only to find that this large colony was on the brink of collapse because it was starving. They had eaten their way through almost a full super and what little stores they had in the brood box. And at the time I remember thinking, should we remove the super to extract it or leave it behind? If I'd removed it, they would have definitely been dead. Another important lesson learned, make sure colonies have enough food after you remove honey for extraction. Otherwise, they're going to be in danger when we hit the June gap. And we did have a June gap this year. That's the point in time in spring where the spring flowering plants are dying out and we're waiting for the summer flowering plants to open and provide nectar and pollen for the bees for their summer flow. I think next year I'll have some bucket feeders at the ready, just in case. For the first time in a long time, I bought in some queens. These were from a UK breeder and I'm just waiting for the spring to see how they overwinter before shouting about them. I have to say that so far they've been fantastic. They need to be because they're not cheap, but if they produce a crop of honey in the spring, they'll easily be worth the outlay. And they're really, really calm, which makes for such a pleasant experience when you're inspecting your bees. One of the reasons for buying in Queens this season was the lack of time I had to produce my own stock. I just kept running out of time with my days filled with so many other jobs to be done. It was an easy option and I just needed a little time to get me through the summer. I actually stopped posting YouTube videos and haven't as yet restarted, obviously preferring to fulfil my commitment to our Patreon subscribers. We still managed to output around three videos a week through the active season and although that's slowed a little recently, I'm still finding subjects to film, so we'll be kept busy into the winter, I'm sure. 
I didn't expand the number of colonies as much as I wanted over the summer, a result of a lot of colonies seemingly being slowed by the lack of forage. I did create a number of nukes to overwinter, as usual, and most of those are already pre-booked for beekeepers that want to get started next year. The summer crop was extracted and stored away without any fuss at all, thanks to having the new unit, and honey sales continued to grow, mainly, I suspect, due to local shoppers changing their habits and sticking with their local shops rather than shifting back to supermarkets. Our local stockists have worked really hard through the first lockdown, and now as we enter another period of social distancing, I'm sure we'll see more people shopping locally again. Thinking back to the colonies, Treatments and feeding went really well again without a hitch this year, and with the oxalic acid sublimation treatments coming up, I'm sure they'll all be set for another calm winter period. The year seems to have gone by so quickly, and here we are already looking forward to next season, with all the usual excitement. Next week, I'll let you in on some of my plans for next season, and how I see my business developing. Changing the subject completely, I nearly forgot, I promised to do the calculation with the honey sump. Well, here's what I found. Having calculated out the volume of the bucket and the sump, it looks like the sump will hold around 10 full buckets of honey to the very top before it floods. Fingers crossed I never get to that point, but safer to stay within a decent safety margin and call it nine buckets at most. So you can see it takes a lot of honey, almost 300 pounds to fill the sump, I'm really looking forward to putting it to work next season and making the job a lot easier on my back. More of taking the strain off my back next week and I'll be thinking about plans for next season. Lastly, remember it's Zoom meeting time next week. Our first meeting is on Tuesday the 10th of November. Login details will appear on the Patreon page over the weekend and don't forget to get your questions in to me. Links to all the relevant information will as usual be in the podcast notes But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.